The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's all I got. I like it, baby. Way to go. Way to bring it in in style. Where's your guitar? Can't you like, you know, oh, good call. Out? How could I not uh, do that? How could you not do that? Especially when it looks like you're in like, you know, a studio where it's like uh, Ahmed Farid unplugged around you, right? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. Say, hey, Instead of the normal pod today, I invited a few guests over. We're going to do the show live here in front of the brick wall and um, my lighted skis that I have on the back <laughs> over here. <laughs> so, so first of all, if you're if you're just listening and not watching, uh, uh, welcome to the pod. By the way, so rude of Chris not to welcome you on the day. After welcome, Christmas welcome. Uh, we are doing it remotely. We are in our homes right now. Chris has got the TV screen behind him that looks like he's in studio there at uh, NBC. Don't be fooled; he's at home. He just got out of bed and rolled over there to his home. And I have, yes, I have a full set. That is a wallpaper brick wall. That is not real. Uh, that, is, that is a real black wall that I painted. And then the two, uh, the two light skis in the back, Chris, you're going to like this. You didn't even know this. I didn't preview this to you. Wow. We got change. a controller? Those can change. Oh, I like it. I Purple, like it. Yellow when we talk about, you know, the, the, the Steelers. Right, the Steelers. Right. 49ers. Right. Okay. Well, you're going to have to keep that going. Colored theme, colored theme uh, (laughs) podcast here in the background. I like it. Like, seriously, this was built just to do this kind of stuff or what'd you do here? Well, yeah, it's, you know, ever since, ever since the global pandemic, uh, we've all had to adjust and uh, no, so this is, yeah, whenever I do a, uh, a live stream, you know, NBC news, Lester Holt comes calling. I just go, all right, Lester, I'll do it from my uh, streaming. <laughs> I got a real professional studio. Hold on. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, I, I, yes. Either way, on a personal level, did you have a good Christmas? Christmas Eve, everything good? It was good. It was good. We've been watching Christmas movies. You'll be happy to know that. And so I've caught up, seen all three of the Santa Clauses with Tim Allen now. Right. Uh, watched Elf with the kids. And so, no, it was Roy a real good day. I got to spend it at home, Chris. You had to work, unfortunately. But you still got Christmas morning with the family, right? I did. And most importantly, Christmas Eve, that's the one I care about the most. That's kind of the one where we have a big family dinner. And uh, I I enjoy Christmas Eve, I think, more than Christmas, oddly enough. Right. I I don't know where that switched in my life, but I got to some age at some point where I like Christmas Eve the most. Uh, But it was awesome. I mean, and then with the NFL games going on, it was a great day. It was action packed. I mean, seriously, at the end of the one o'clock games, we have family coming in the house. You know, I've already now started to drink. The games are ending. It's crazy crap going on. 
you know, I'm telling the family, be quiet, wait, hold on. And I'm going back and forth on direct TV. So uh, it was an action-packed Christmas Eve, that, that's for sure. And Christmas Day wasn't bad. I, I would have rather been at home, but being with those people at work wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's like family. It's like family. You spend probably more time with them than you do your family at this point in football season. Uh, so we thought about it, and Pete was like, well, we got to still do a pod. We're going to give, you know, Kristen a day off, Gabby, Morgan. They can be at home, although Kristen's texting you to keep the uh, the The F-bombs to a minimum today. Also, you'd be happy to hear, okay, that I didn't pass out on Christmas Eve night. I made it. I helped my wife put the presents out in front of the tree. Okay, it's the first time in about seven, eight, nine years. All right, so I just want to give myself a pat on the back before we get into football things. That I did yeah. it this year. I didn't get too drunk and I didn't get too high. And I actually uh, en- enjoyed the process. <laughs> all right. We're going to, we're going to have you step out of the room. We're going to bring in Danielle to corroborate your story. independently of you. <laughs> yeah. Right. See what she says. <laughs> um, that's good to hear though. No, that, that does make sense. And that's cool. That that's cool that you got to spend all that time with your family. Although dad was having to work both days, right? Yeah, he Saturday was. Dad wasn't Sunday. around. Right. Yeah. It, it was. And then added on top of that, uh, Ahmed, as you could tell, we had no power here for 36 hours. So we woke up on Friday morning, the 23rd, with no power um, and then did not get power again till about four o'clock on Saturday afternoon on Christmas wow. Eve. You know, we have a generator, thank God, that, that keeps some things alive. I had one TV alive with direct TV. That's how I was watching games early on. Uh, but yeah, that became a little bit of a, a panic mode, especially, you know, when we're cooking and got all these people coming over. Uh, okay. It was it was the two minute drill. We just got it done. I know. I thought about that, too, because I thought we were going to lose power and we have a fireplace. We have a couple of them. But I'm like, man, how are we going to keep warm? We don't have. Yeah, right. It was so, freezing. Uh, exactly. I know. I know. It's crazy. But we got through it. We survived. And now let's we go. Have, we have 30 games to talk about. As That's what it feels <laughs> like here. So our, our promise uh, to you, the homie, as we do every week here on Monday, we'll talk about every game included because it's Christmas, Chris. We're throwing in the Thursday game. We will legitimately talk about the Thursday game. A lot to talk about in that one. Trevor Lawrence uh, getting another victory with the Jaguars looking like a playoff team at this point. But let's start at the top here with probably the game of the weekend, although there are a lot of good ones. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys get the win over the Philadelphia Eagles 40 to 34. And I kept thinking during this game, because this was the big blow up during the week, Chris, for you is that, right. Uh, you know, you said that the, you, you dared say the Eagles would be not that bad with Gardner Minshew and uh, Eagles fans tore you apart. They're like, how dare you say something like that again against our team or against Jalen hurts. But here you go. They weren't uh, significantly worse than the Cowboys and they could have won this game. If it weren't some, for some late turnovers uh, 40 to 34 was the final score. And I just kept thinking how many Eagles fans were out there being like, oh, Gardner, don't win this game. Don't let Chris be right. Don't let Chris be right. You almost were, Chris. Well, it, you know, I mean, again, it, it, and, you know, that's it's a tough part of the business, right? It was a great game. You said that. I mean, it was the marquee game of the weekend with these two teams, especially, and it being the Cowboys. And uh, but but, you know, yeah, I mean, my point to, to how you were explaining it, it wasn't that Gardner Minshew's better than Jalen Hurts. It's just that that offense is still going to be able to move the ball down the field against anybody in the league with Gardner Minshew, a quarterback and a win or lose. I think we saw that that's for sure. Let alone like self-inflicted mistakes where they could have easily won the game. I mean, up 27, 20, you know, at that point, nobody's stopping them fumble the exchange on a handoff. Right. You know, and then 
And of course, at the end of the game, we have the interceptions and the fumbles too. And, you know, Gardner wasn't perfect. It was his first time playing. Just think about that. You know, I had a, some people on social media like, there, that's, see, it's not as good. And I want to be like, I, I didn't think it was going to be as good. Like, but here he hasn't played all year. And it was still very good to where they were moving the ball like a machine up and down the field on one of the best defenses in the game. But, hey, say what you want. I got concerns a little bit with both defenses. Dallas's playmakers made, made, made it happen at the end of the football game. You know, whether it's the strip on Miles Sanders, you know, how about the rookie Bland with the interception? I mean, you know, hey, Gardner Minshew, both of his interceptions were tough. They were both good plays by the defenders, right? The second one, really a good play by Deron Bland, who we talked about him last week, right, Ahmed? He's he's yeah. a player, but fun game to watch. Gardner Minshew did a really good job. And my point was that Philadelphia would be just fine with Gardner Minshew, and I think that point – should have been received or you're just being a hater at this point and just don't want to admit it. Like I remember when uh, Brock Purdy was inserted as the 49ers quarterback, the rookie, the seventh rounder, last pick of the draft. You're like, I, I think their ceiling is lowered now. Now maybe that's changed since then. We'll get it to has, the 49ers. Yeah. Um, do you think that if it hurts is supposed to come back, he might even come back in the regular season. If they had to go the rest of the way with Gardner Minshew, could they still right. win the Super Bowl? Uh, hmm. Yes, but I don't think that necessarily means that they're, you know, their ceiling is higher with Jalen Hurts. I do want to make sure that's that's definitely felt. His playmaking ability, his running ability puts that offense to another edge, whether it's a scrambling or the quarterback design runs. It gives them another element that just makes them even tougher to defend, especially against the elite defenses in football. Do I still think that Philadelphia could win a Super Bowl with Gardner Minshew? Yes. And again, that's, you know, I'm in. Think about who we're talking to here. I mean, I'm the guy. My dad was on a good team and really good team and got hurt. And then the backup went and won the Super Bowl. So I'm, I'm not trying to put anybody down or take credit from anybody. I mean, this, I'm just trying to explain football and how it works and how good this football team is. You know, I can't remember if I said this to you last week or not. But, I mean, hey, Joe Montana left the 49ers and, the you know, Steve Young and the, 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 the 49ers went to what? three to the four to the next five NFC championship games and won a Super Bowl and were the second best team in football. They just couldn't beat the Cowboys in a championship game. So that that's all I was trying to say. Again, it's it's not disrespect to Jalen Hurts, but that's uh, a really good football team. We saw that. But how could you not be a little concerned? Forget Gardner Minshew and the offense. I'm not worried about that. It's the defense on both sides of the ball there that I would be more concerned with, with anything after seeing that game on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, what, what do you make of the Dallas defense? Number one defense, gave up yeah. 442 yards against Gardner Minshew. Did get the four turnovers, though, although some were self-inflicted by the Eagles. Yeah, do, do you have concerns about the, the Cowboys defense? Because I think the thought for a, a long time has been, you know, the offense can be good, it can be elite, but, man, they can just rely on that defense to take them uh, all the way to the big game. What, what do you make of Dallas's defense? It's almost reversed, Amin. It's almost where I go, the offense is elite right now, and it's almost unstoppable. And the defense is, you know, good and got some playmakers, but inconsistent. And, and Amin, I think, you know, we've hit on it a lot. You know, this is – see, to me, when they have to play a team that is big and powerful up front – and then at least has somewhat of a good passing game, and we know Philadelphia has better than a somewhat of a good passing game, it puts them in a tough spot. See, that's why they could match up well with the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota's run game's not scary, right? So that's why they could, oh, okay, we can, we can kind of, 
you know, play more pass defense and we still feel like we can stop the run. But with like teams like Jacksonville and Philadelphia who are really big up front and it poses a problem to them where they go, oh, wait, we got to put an extra guy down there. We got to play some man to man. We got to take run blitz to stop some of these runs and all that. And then as you're seeing, Trevor Lawrence or the Philadelphia Eagles, they have enough of a passing attack to go, oh, you're going to play us this aggressively? Well, we could take advantage of it too. That's where I worry about them. It's like we've said, it's a smaller defense. So therefore, they have to use chaos and creativity to make plays. And when you do that, you can get burned as well. And I think we're seeing that a little bit here as of late. Doomsday defense, more like Dumbsday defense. Dumbsday. Right? Well, Pete, and, Pete and they wear out. Pete wrote that. Yeah. We got to give credit to yeah. Pete on that one. Who's working on the day after Christmas? <laughs> he sounds like a Giants fan who's a hater on the Cowboys. <laughs> That's what that sounds like. <laughs> uh, we got a question from Amy X Joshua back to Gardner Minshew. Damn okay, Gardner Minshew. Do you think that that performance, with that performance, he should be a starter in the league? Well, I think Gardner Minshew is one of those guys that like, He's hopefully gets a chance somewhere one point here and gets a chance to prove himself to be a starter with, with a, at least a quality team around him. Right. You know, I honestly think in a lot of ways, you know, Taylor Heineke, but I think he's actually a better thrower and a better player within the pocket than Taylor Heineke. Maybe can't make some of those magic plays that we've seen, but like he would be to me, the guy, if I'm the Arizona Cardinals, right. We, oh, you know, we don't know if Kyler Murray is going to be ready to go. I don't think Colt McCoy is going to continue to play. and He's getting to an age where I don't know if they can necessarily depend on him to be healthy and be the guy. But, like, that's what he, he – Ahmed, like, a, you know, hey, we'll take a shot on this guy for a year and see maybe he can be the guy. And if not, then we'll go to the draft. I, I feel like that's, you know, kind of where he is. Low-level starter, big-time high-end backup. Four turnovers is what it took for the Cowboys to win this game, despite uh, Gardner Minshew being in there. No Jalen Hurts and still only one by six. And they actually have two, uh, their two losses this year, Chris. They had four turnovers in each of those games. Did the yeah. Eagles 13 and two now? And you've, you've given me the Columbo, the one finger here. There's one That's more thing right. you want to say about this one game. One more thing, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, no, no, and then you know, just the Philadelphia defense. Again, it's yeah. really good, but. My issue with Philadelphia a little bit, Ahmed, is, and hear me out on this, is I, I just don't think they force the issue enough. It's kind of been my issue with them really for two years. They've gotten better at it and become a little more creative and tactically aggressive. But that, for me, they're too talented and too good. There's too many plays, and I'll be interested to go back and watch this film where I just go, like, the quarterback's too comfortable. He walks in the line of scrimmage. They knows the coverage. There's no disguise. It's just like, oh, here it is. And you know me, and, and I think this is pretty true to modern-day football. Unless you just have a super, super, super unbelievable, crazy good defense, you got to change it up and try to trick these quarterbacks a little bit and take some calculated chances. And to me, Ahmed, I, 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 when you have that type of offense and you're that good on that side of the ball as Philadelphia is on the offensive side of the ball, I wouldn't want to play conservative We'll slowly bend and let the good teams drive down the field and keep Jalen Hurts and our offense on the sideline. So I would like to see them change that. We'll see. And, you know, maybe that was a little bit of a wake-up call on uh, Saturday afternoon. Well, it's weird. They're doing both. They're bending. They're breaking. They're doing a little bit of a combination of two of the worst things because that T.Y. Hilton 52-yard catch on third and 30. That was yes. a huge play in the game. Huge play. Play and cover, too, and they just didn't play it right. And that's where, I like, again, I want to go back and watch the film a little bit to go, like, yeah, what was the safety over there doing? Why did he get 
stuck in the middle of the field more than he should. And then even the corner and cover two, yeah, the corners are responsible for the flat. But if there's nobody in the flat, they got to keep going. And it just seemed like they messed up some details in this game and got a little sloppy. And, uh, you know, Dallas Dallas wanted to make make a point to go, hey, we can beat you. And I think, we, you know, they played a good game and, and made their point. And we'll see. I'm not so sure they can beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia with a health, healthy Jalen Hurts, though. That, that's, a, that's a different question. It's funny. We haven't seen either team uh, play. Well, we haven't seen the Dak versus Jalen Hurts game yet. It was Cooper Rush the first time they played, and here we have right? Minshew the second time. Yeah. So if they play in the playoffs, hopefully we finally get that matchup. The NFC East has been so interesting all year long. The NFC East includes your Giants, who go down in a close one to the Minnesota Vikings, 27-24 the final score. And now the Vikings are 11-0 in one-possession games. Most wins all time in a season. 11 wins in one possession games. We've never seen that before in the NFL. Wes Kruger starts this out with a question for you, Chris. Can you explain how the Vikings are undefeated in one score games? Explain how this has happened. Yeah, it's it's hard to explain it. It really is. I you know, it's I I don't know if I can explain it other than the fact that hey, they have been opportunistic as far as they found ways to make plays in some clutch moments and Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell, Justin Jefferson have been able to execute in big-time situational football to put their team in position to score a touchdown and the field goal in those big moments. But, like, you know, again, let, let's just talk about, like, what, what set that off in this one, right? What It's 17-16. Giants look like they're kind of controlling the game. They kick the field goal. Then the punt gets blocked. Oh, now Minnesota's got the field, short field. You know, so it's, it seems like they always seem to make a play like that, even though the rest of the game is a little bit unimpressive. So that's it, – it is truly remarkable. It's one of those games where I'm disappointed the Giants lost, of course. But, like, Pete and I were talking about this yesterday, where it's – you almost feel good about it in a lot of ways, too. Wait, that's – you know, it's a really good football team. And we were toe-to-toe with them and really made some mistakes that, you know, we don't typically make. Danny Dimes had an unbelievable game through the interception on the crossing route when they were kind of in field goal territory, fringe, fringe field goal territory. So uh, it is the weirdest thing ever. I felt good about the Giants after the game. I didn't feel much better about the Vikings. Yeah, because I don't think they're going to get away with this type of play against the elite teams in the NFC. But still, what can you say? Credit to them for getting it done in the clutch moments once again. So last year, as a Lions fan, I got to win the Super Bowl with Matt Stafford. That was cool. We take credit for that. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe this year, and we'll get to my Lions later on. We've buried them in this show. They're, I don't even know if we are going to talk about them. Uh, but this year, <laughs> they could win the Super Bowl with TJ Hawkinson. He had a career-high 13 catches in this one in another game where Justin Jefferson uh, went off, too. I, I mean, the, Minnesota for as much as they've just barely eked out some wins and they have had to come back and it seems like it might be fool's gold offensively, they've got some serious weapons here and some talent and some guys who have proven it. I mean, what, what do you think about the Vikings? If we just, I mean, their defense has been porous and I think that's the reason why we're, we're more skeptical, but if you just take a look at the offense, I mean, there aren't a whole lot that are better than the Minnesota Vikings. Would you agree with that? No, I, I would agree with that. And they have answers schematically for just about everything you do. It's a really good unit. I think the only part that keeps them away from me going, oh, it's just a top tier, you know, one of the upper echelon type of offenses, it's just the offensive line is maybe not as physically dominant as some of those other offenses. 
And then maybe, you know, Kirk Cousins can't make the off-schedule plays like some of the other top offenses have quarterbacks, you know, like Allen and Mahomes and company that can – Jalen Hurts that can do that. Um, but, yes, you know, they, they – you know, for the most part, are pretty good at taking care of the football. Cousins is an aggressive decision maker. They know how to design and feature Justin Jefferson to a point where they go, we'll just keep feeding them until you do, Ahmed, like we've talked about. That's their elite thing they do is get him the ball, and then they make you adjust to, oh, wait, okay, now we got to take him away. And then that brings other guys into play, and this week it was Hawkinson. You know, And th that's kind of the thing or the question about them a little bit is just that, you know, who can be that consistent other guy in a big playoff game if Justin Jefferson doesn't go off against the 49ers or the Eagles or the Cowboys or somebody like that? And that's where they're going to need Hawkinson and Thielen to come and, you know, come into play. I'm not amazed by the offense, Amon, but it's it's really good. And it has all the answers versus all the defenses and blitzes and and it's checks and balances and all that. But I don't come away watching it on film going, oh, wow, this is the most creative thing I've ever seen. It's just really good and solid and, and really well taught and detailed. They've been able to score in a lot of games. But Pete noted uh, in a tweet that he sent out yesterday, and he has it here in our rundown, is that the, the point differential of teams with 11 or more wins this year, it's crazy. The Bills have the best point differential in the NFL at uh, plus 157, so they've scored 157 more points than they've given up. The 49ers right behind them at 145. Eagles are over 100. Cowboys over 100. Chiefs over 100. Bengals plus 85. And then you have the Minnesota Vikings at plus 5. And it's going to be that defense. I mean, they've won so many close games. It's like we see this in baseball, too, one-run games. And does that translate into the postseason, being able to win one-run games? Like I've said before on the pod, I think winning – one score games in the NFL helps you get into the postseason. I don't think it necessarily helps you once you're in the postseason. Agreed. Agreed with that. You know, again, it's just, it's a different type of team you're playing. There's teams take more tac tactical chances to go away. Hey, it's win or go home. We got to kind of, we got to, I don't want to play this defense, but we got to take Justin Jefferson away. Right. So there's just, that's where, yeah, you don't think, I, at least I don't think that's sustainable to go on a playoff run. And, you know, this this is a stat that it holds, you know, me. I don't always look at all stats. This stat is one that kind of holds water to me a little bit. It's one of those that's really kind of tried and true through the test of time in the NFL where, you know, point differential usually is somewhat of a telltale sign. And, yes, I mean, great teams that win a Super Bowl usually don't lose 40-3 to three at home. Or they're not down to a team that's one of the worst teams in football, 33 to nothing, even though it was a great comeback. So that's where it's weird. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like the perfect storm of new coach, new energy, favorable schedule early on. Got a, you know, little lucky with, you know, some injuries to the other teams or they mess up. And then they've been clutching some big moments. And somehow, some way, we've gotten here to a 12 and three record. And I have no idea. But, yeah, there's 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 concerns, and I still will stand by that it's one of the lesser twelve and three football teams I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know if that's a nice compliment or a bad thing or what, but it's just what no. it is. I think that's bad. I don't think there's much debate <laughs> about that. That's a, that's not a compliment to them, uh, but they certainly have been exciting this year, as have the Vikings, who are eight six and one now. They can still clinch a wild card with one win in their final two games. The Colts. Then they're at Eagles, can still get in with uh, teams behind them lose too, which definitely could happen. Yeah, Giants uh, are in a really good could, spot. Yeah, we really could get this game again. 
in Minnesota, these two teams in the playoffs. Right. That and 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 again, we we saw that. That's what's weird. We're talking about a team that could be the number two seed, and we really look at every team from five, six, seven, and eight, and go, well, they could probably go in there, and it'll be a really fun, close game, right? That's where it's just weird. You know, they are the number two seed for now. They're certainly not to me in the class of the Eagles or the 49ers, especially. Uh, but you're right. There's a very real chance we could see this. And, you know, the Giants, nothing's going to be easy. Them playing the Colts next week, it'll probably be a close football game. It will be. But, yeah, hopefully they can win it and squeak in. Or at the very least, Philly might not be playing for anything the last week of the year, too. That could come in handy for the Giants. Giants currently in the playoffs right now, as are the Washington Commanders. We got all the NFC East teams in right now. They are the seventh seed, even though they lost to the 49ers. Final score in this one was 20, uh, 37 to 20. Uh, Taylor Heineke got benched in this game. Carson Wentz came back in after the game was pretty much decided. Uh, let me start, though, with the 49ers side of things here. Like, after this game, and of course, working with you for so long, it's like you and Kyle are, are tight, so you really can't say this, but maybe I can. I was like, after that game, I was like... Kyle Shanahan is the is the coach of the year. I, I don't know that you can take any other coach and take away his starting quarterback, go to Jimmy Garoppolo, who, yes, very good, has taken him to the Super Bowl before, and so that wasn't that much of a drop-off. But now to get even better with the final pick in the draft, a Brock Purdy guy who's starting to look pretty, pretty good, like, I, I don't know. For me, he's my he's my coach of the year right now. If the season were to end right now, he's my coach of the year. What do you think? I, I'm glad you you went there. I am because now it doesn't sound like it's it's me propping up my friend, which <laughs> I was getting ready to go there with these comments yeah. about the 49ers because I think there's a lot of comments like that to be made. I mean, you, you're saying it right. No, great. No, last pick of the draft, rookie quarterback, third stringer. Holy shit, we've been through a lot of crap here this year. And Ahmed, we're sitting here and I'm going, I don't know. I, they're – Maybe they're the, they're the best team in football. They're certainly the hottest team in the sport right now. I mean, what they've done the last eight weeks, the way they're dominating football teams. I mean, there's been very few games where ever since that Kansas City loss where you've even gone like even had a feeling that the 49ers are going to lose the game. I mean, really, the Dolphins game was a little scary. The Chargers game was a little scary. Other than that, you just felt like, Man, I'm watching the 49ers, and they just seem like they're on a different level than the, the other team I'm watching here on the field. And they got it all. And then, you know, to your point, yeah, I think just how he keeps the team focused, the creativity, the toughness and mental fortitude the team has played with, with having to deal with these, it's all head coach stuff. And then, you know, just the way he has that quarterback and that last pick of the draft playing. You know, that's what I think is amazing to me. And to me, Shanahan – has learned how to manage the game and a younger quarterback in a different way, Ahmed. And, you know, where they're running the ball, we know that. And then the other thing I like is maybe lower percentage passes they're throwing with Brock Purdy, but higher percentage in safety. That's That, to me, is another thing that's jumped out. You know, we hit on this a little last week, but, you know, it's, hey, the screens and all that, we know that, hey, boots, they're safe. And then we're seeing throws outside the numbers and down the field, and they're not asking them to jam the ball in the middle all the time, right, where still a lot of mistakes can happen. And I just look at that and go, oh, my gosh, right now they seem harder to defend with the formula they got working, let alone that defense is, is crazy and clearly the best in football. 
Well, that's what a lot of people will say too. It's like, well, he's got the he's got that great defense, but sure. they're scoring they're scoring a ton of points still. They scored thirty points against a pretty good Washington defense here. But you're right, the 49ers defense gives them legit Super Bowl uh, possibilities here. Yes. Nick Bosa, another big game for him, a couple sacks, a key fourth down stop. One of those sacks forced a fumble. He has now seventeen and a half sacks on the defensive year. player of the shy, year. Amen. Too shy of the all time mark there in San Francisco. Alden Smith currently has that. You think it is? You think it's basically almost done? You think he's the I, defensive player of the year? You know, I, I mean, one I, I, defensive player of the year is yeah, outstanding play, and then consistency. You know, I'm into that, right? Like we talked about that last year a little bit. I just feel like we're here every Monday, and Nick Bosa's in the conversation for a damn okay or hey somebody tweets in something to the podcast and hey what about Nick Bosa right I mean you can't really talk about the 49ers right now without bringing him up and going he just makes a handful of plays and puts stress on the offense every week that I don't think anybody has the effect of of that right now uh and uh, you know that's this is a really well-rounded football team and they got a rolling and Debo Samuel's not even out there and they're pushing the ball down the field. The defense swarms. Javon Kinlaw is getting close to coming back. You know, and I don't, you know, like I like the fact that they didn't take any chances early on in this game. And we're just like, okay, we'll just go in a defensive tussle here early on. You know, they believe in themselves that the defense will make a play or the offense will get it going. And there, you know, they get things going. He gets a little unlucky with the interception. And, you know, what happens? They're up 14 to 7. And the other team panicked. The other team panicked. That, to me, was one of the dumber calls of the weekend. The, 40, the, the Washington Commanders going for a quarterback sneak on fourth and one, right, on their own, what was it, 30-something yard line. Mm. You're down by seven. You're, you're playing Brock Purdy in the 49ers. Your defense is clearly the, the standard of your football team. And you're just going to let them have a short field and capitalize on momentum and get going that way. That was, to me, the moment where really the game swayed clearly in the 49ers' favor, and they felt like they controlled from that point on. Pete notes in the rundown, he goes, forget defensive player of the year. Nick Bosa could be the big butt of the year favorite. Uh, you know what? He's got a <laughs> good point. We'll Agreed. have to go see what BetMGM says about that. Um, <laughs> Brock Purdy is the second quarterback since 1950 to start 3-0 and with multiple touchdown passes in each of his first three career starts. We've been tracking that since the beginning. Kurt Warner's the other in 1999. So uh, that went pretty well for uh, the Rams and Kurt Warner. He has unlocked George Kittle here. He had a season high 120 receiving yards. What's happened there, you think? How, how come George Kittle's gotten going now that Brock Purdy's the quarterback? I don't think it's necessarily Brock Purdy. I think it's the run game. That's the one thing, like, you know, at least when, when I'm watching the games or I've been in, you know, the, the video room and we're watching with the – I just – when they unlock the running game – now that's when he can play with you at the second level with George Kittle, right? Hey, we're going this way. George Kittle's the tight end where he's blocking. Oh, he comes across the field, right? The play-action pass becomes more available. You know, he can just kind of tie it together more when the run game's really working. He starts to feel teams being over-aggressive. Safeties and linebackers are overplaying their, you know, go-to run plays. That's usually when he hits that. And then, you know, again, I think the other thing that's just – even though they're lower percentage passes, is we're seeing the ball push down the field more with Brock Purdy. And, you know, 
because of that, that's leaving. Lead, I mean, 15 completions for 234, throwing a deep post down the middle. And I believe, what was that, a third down to Kittle? I mean, I, I feel like we didn't see that stuff with, with Jimmy Garoppolo. That's where I'm just mm. amazed by this Brock Purdy, his calmness and, you know, his maturity for, for a rookie quarterback. Our friend Jay Croucher is all aboard the Brock Purdy has a chance at the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. You know, I would like to throw my guy in the mix there, too. Draft season, my favorite wide receiver, Jahan Dotson. I yeah. think he's had a pretty good uh, rookie he year. Has. And, and I think last thing I'll say about this game is that the Washington Commanders, I look at this team, you know, Chase Young back. Hopefully he comes back strong. Um, the, I, I feel like they're a quarterback away. You know, and I Agreed. think they knew that trying to get Carson Wentz in there and doesn't look like Taylor Heineke's uh, got much longer there in Washington, although we've said that in the past. I don't know. They seem like a team going into next year. If they can somehow figure out who's going to be their quarterback and it's an upgrade, They've got the weapons. They've got some talent on defense. It seems like they're just a quarterback away. Do you agree? I, I do agree. I, they got every. I, I'm not so sure that, you know, with the Carson Wentz decision, of it, it doesn't happen this year. You know, mm. Ahmed, you know I've been one the whole year going, I feel bad for Carson Wentz. He got to play when the coaches and the team failed him. I mean, that's where I didn't like when Ron Rivera was going. When Heineke came in, they were like, what's different about what he's doing? And he's going, Winning. After like three weeks before, how he stuck up for, you know, everybody getting on Carson Wentz. He was all like, you got to respect this guy. And, you know, he's done all the right things. And then he shits on him himself three weeks later. And I want to go, no, no, no. You need to take some accountability there, too. You couldn't run the ball and you couldn't protect him. And now you're just going to let everybody pile on him after you just tried to stop us from piling on him a few weeks before that. I did not love that aspect. Okay. I just had to get that off my chest. But, um, you know, I guarantee you why this became a thing, Ahmed, is because now they're they're watching Heineke, as we've always talked about, leave some plays on the field, and he's making a few mistakes, and they're watching big Carson Wentz, who's like John Wayne back there in practice, and he's zoom, zoom, and they're going, damn, that uh, Heineke can't do that. So wait, now we have a run game and can protect. Uh, maybe we should throw him into the mix. And I, I think, honestly, that's that's probably what's happened there, you know, and then Heineke just being careless with the football. So I'll be interested to see where that goes. Like, I still think, Ahmed, to your point, they, they, they're dangerous. And if Carson Wentz could come in and not be stupid and make bad mistakes in that, you know, with his physical ability, and we've seen what he can do with that, they would be scary to me if they were a wild card weekend. You're going, oh, no, that defense and – Jahan Dotson, like you're talking about, and the, Terry McCorn and the running game, the way it's going, uh, they could still be scary this year. But I, your point about next year is real, and you're right on about that. Well, it's funny. It's two teams that are like, oh, who's our quarterback of the future? And there are two teams that are both in the playoffs right now. It could be playoff uh, yeah. teams this this I, year. I love it because it's a team sport. That's right, yeah. Ahmed. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. To a team that knows who their future quarterback's going to be, Chiefs and Seahawks, I mean, come on, Geno Smith, he's the guy, right? So it's like, you know. He is. And the Kansas City Chiefs. You don't even flinch. Don't even flinch. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is certainly the guy. Uh, He is now the betting favorite for the MVP at minus 500 per bet MGM. Joe Burrow is plus 600. Jalen Hurts is plus 900 now uh, after getting hurt. Chiefs get the win over Geno Smith and the Seahawks. 24 to 10 is the final score. Uh, We'll get to the Seahawks side of things, but I I was watching you on football night, and it's just like a weekly thing where you go, the magic man, Patrick Mahomes, making magic happen. I mean, the how cool was that play where he's diving in, does the one-handed like body plank, and then barely reaches out and gets half an inch on the pylon for the touchdown? Yeah, it's 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 amazing. It's just it's every week he has a play where we just go, what, how, what, how do you do that? I mean, he's unlike anything we've seen, and you know that that's what's amazing and annoying and like let's let's chalk this one up to Sunday being annoying Chiefs game where you just were like you're controlling the game and they drop a pass or there's a penalty or the receiver doesn't get two feet in bounds and it's just like it's always on a thread of like they're about to take over and blow the team out and they're like well we know we're so much better it's just uh, it's Christmas Eve it's the Seahawks uh, we'll we'll kind of play good and put them away and then let them come back a little and then put them away again they're annoying that way, but they're still encouraging things about what they do. I mean, you you know, the magic man's the quarterback, their offense underneath the center attitude, running the football. I I'm a big fan of what they're doing that way. And I'm a, their defense was dominant in the game. That was to me, the shocker of it. I mean, for, I, for three quarters, I felt like every time I looked at the screen of that game, I was going Geno Smith's ducking. Geno Smith's on the ground. Geno Smith's slowly getting up. I mean, holy crap, did they hit him a lot. So, Sean27 up next says to you, Hey, Chris, when watching the Chiefs game, was Geno's performance more him missing throws or our defense rounding into form? No, I think it's defense rounding into form right there. I, and I'm interested to see if, uh, you know, if, if the, the, the Chiefs did some different things on defense. You know, you, you've heard me say they're great at disguising and they're great at creative blitzing, but a lot of the times the coverages end up being somewhat like, you know, like we've talked about, it's all out blitz and there's no safety or it's we blitz one and it's just cover one or it's this crazy disguise and it ends up in Tampa too. But man, they seem like they pose problems for Gino, who's been 
very good decision maker, you know, not afraid to throw the ball into tight windows. And it just looked like he had nowhere to throw the ball. And then he just didn't have enough protection to even, you know, let things develop at times. Um, so, I, you know, it was one of those games where you went, man, Chiefs, you're annoying. But it's like the one thing you know is amazing about them is Mahomes in the passing game. And I'm like, well, that'll be good when it needs to be. They were yeah. just a little bit complacent in that one and and uh, ended up winning the game kind of an ugly, dominant fashion. Well, if you would have known that Kenneth Walker was going to have over 100 yards in the game, you'd be like, uh-oh, maybe they did some things here. But Seattle converted only two of 14 third downs. Right. And so throwing the football, everything else was pretty difficult for Seattle throughout the game that has now lost three games in a row, Chris. Yeah. And they are 7-8. and eight. They are just outside the playoffs. They are currently the eight seed. Uh, tied record-wise with Detroit and Green Bay right now. I don't know. It seems like they're running out of steam. I, I would agree. You know, I think we're seeing just they're playing a part of their schedule where teams can kind of capitalize on their flaws. You know, you, you see, again, they're a good defense. They just can't block these good defensive lines. We saw it in the 49ers game, right, two Thursdays ago. It's just Geno's under duress. And even think about the runs you saw in that game with Kenneth Walker. They weren't really blocked all that well. It was just like, it's freak show Kenneth Walker. He runs over here, he stops, he cuts back and runs all the way to the other side of the field. It's just, so you know, I think, yes, the flaws or the, the issues with their team have finally come home to roost. It was it, it, it exceeded expectations. And even for that game, you know, where they were being, they just, they, they fight, they play hard. And there it was, what was it, 17-13? And really one of the plays of the game was the interception that Geno threw when they were kind of close to the red zone fringe. And that was the moment of the game where you went, oh, man, that was their chance to come back and really make it like a nail biter. And the Chiefs, as they usually do, their playmakers make plays in big moments. And Thornhill came yeah. up with the big pick. And then I believe it was the next drive where he threw a big pass to Kelsey and they put him down 24 to three. It might have been two drives later. I can't remember all the damn stuff I watched. Yeah, big win by the Chiefs on Christmas Eve. They got to celebrate uh, Christmas Day, watch some other football. I was thinking, Chris, two things that uh, disappear on Christmas. You know, Santa's gone for the year. You know what else disappears on Christmas? Tuanon, never to be heard from again. <laughs> I think we might have we might have heard the last of Tuanon for at least You're a while. You're funny. <laughs> here, as uh, we got to watch this on Christmas Day, Packers and Dolphins. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are not done yet. Uh, the Dolphins are not done either. They're eight and seven. They're barely hanging on to a playoff spot right now. But uh, Aaron Rodgers brings the guys back in in a game that in the first half, I was like, man, Packers could get blown out today. Like I, it was getting to the point where I was like, I don't know that they can stop them. And we know that their offense isn't anything super, super special. It was I, I was maybe as shocked about like one half to the next half in this game than any other game in the NFL this week. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, there was a few moments in the game where I went, oh, I mean, Pete will tell you, he was in the viewing room with me yesterday on Christmas. When they went, let me just make sure I got this right here. When they went, uh, I believe it was, they got a turnover close down there. Oh, and they were up 17 to 10 and had a short field, right? After Green Bay, what did they fake the punt? They faked the right. punt, right? I right there went, well, this is over. This is going to be 24 to 10 in three minutes and three plays here. And then they held them to a field goal. And I went, okay, Green Bay's going to hang around a little bit. Then 
you know, the fumble right before the half by Moster, right? It's 20 to 10 and they're at midfield and you're going, well, they're going to go down and score or at least get a field goal here. And then, no, what, what happens is Green Bay gets a field goal. Green Bay starts the ball with the third quarter. They drive down the field and all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, wow. Like, I'm with you. I mean, it had the feel of Green Bay was barely hanging on to, wait, we're in a ball game here. And even with that, at 20 to 20, I just went, oh, that's all right. We've seen Miami do this. And then they put the gas on, you know, the, the pedal of the metal and they leave you in the dust. But mistakes and clearly, you know, two is worst game. That, that's, that's for sure. The other three losses had a lot of silver lining to it. This game did not. And this game was one you could, you know, purely blame on Tua and, and the Dolphins making some bad mistakes. You know, and it comes right after a game in Buffalo where it was right. a good game for, for them. Right. You know, I, I hear people saying now it's like, oh, the momentum's totally shifted on Miami because they've lost, what is it? They, they've lost a few in a row now. Four uh, in a row. Four in a row. So it's like, oh, right. but, but it was like, I, I feel like they had some momentum after uh-huh. last week's game against the Buffalo Bills. But yeah, clearly uh, Tua... To uh, turn the ball over, as Pete has put in the rundown here. It's Pete, that's piling on. That's just piling on at this well, point. Three interceptions was, in the second half. Well, it, it's almost quarter. a little bit like we talked with um, – who are we talking about? Uh, Seattle a little bit. It's just that, you know, again, they've gotten to the part of the schedule. They're playing some good defenses. And there's been enough of an accumulation of, you know, copycat league like we talked about where teams go, oh, wait, I like what that team did against Miami. Oh, in, in this situation, I like what this team. And they start to put it all together. And we're seeing, like, you know, with some of those easy completions are not there to be had as games go on. Teams are getting a feel for it. And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not a big-arm quarterback. So when some of those offensive tactical plays that McDaniel's so good at with coming up, kind of fail yeah he's not the quarterback that's just gonna throw lasers around the field and, and say jump on my back I got you guys and you know forget all that and, and I knew he couldn't do that it just was shocked by some of the decisions the three interceptions were bad right I mean the first one the RPO I mean wow was that a tight window and there were a lot of people over there right and he airmailed it and threw it a little high and Jair Alexander got it the next one Hey, they answer, and they're going right back down the field. And you're going, okay, Tua's fine. They're good. And he's got Mozart in the slot and, like, wants to hit him right away. But it doesn't look like the play was designed for that. And Mozart was running a, a seam route and wasn't expecting the ball, let alone I think Tua was fooled by the coverage. And I don't think he saw Devondre Campbell. And then the last one was the worst one by far. You know, I, I, I think I showed it, and hopefully you saw it on Football Night in America, but – you got an under route and you got an out route over the top of it. You throw the under route until they take it away, until that corner jumps on it. Then you go over the top with it. It's like he predetermined and was like, they won't let Tyreek be this open. So I'm going to have to throw to the other guy. And uh, yeah, they were bad ones. And man, I just can't believe the Dolphins are now fighting for their playoff lives here down the stretch. Yeah, and they just needed one of those last four drives to maybe produce a touchdown, and they win this game. They went field goal, interception, interception, interception at the end. The Packers win by six. So Miami still can clinch a wild card if they win out. So they control their own destiny. They're at the Patriots and against the Jets. Man, talk about two two good defenses. That's right. I mean, if they're going to get in, Tua's going to have to play well. you know, And he's going to have to answer more questions for sure. You know, he got one at home, but he's going to have to, you know, go up to New England. And, you know, again, it's 
We've seen teams have officially have a little bit of a real feel for how the Dolphins want to attack. We know they're explosive and can still make some big plays, but the last three or four weeks, we've seen more, you know, what do we want to say, dull moments or slow moments where we go a few drives and we go, oh, they didn't put things together here. And, you know, I, I do think that's because of the teams they're playing and because there's a little bit of a, you know, a feel for how they attack now. Packers are still in it. They're it's amazing. Likely going to need to win out. Uh, they got Minnesota. They got Detroit. They're going to still need some help. So it's unlikely. But Ismam Chowhury says, Chowdhury says, what have the Packers improved on the most in the last month? Where have you seen the biggest improvement from them, Chris? I, I The run game has become a true force of nature. And then sprinkles of, you know, some explosive plays on the offensive side of the ball. You know, the defense is still concerning, but made some plays here and there and some big moments. I think that's probably the biggest thing. I, I still, you know, don't feel totally confident about them. It's like Jason Garrett said last night, we've seen little glimmers and moments of going, oh, wait, the offense looks good. You know, but they've yet to seem to really put it all together. Uh, but but I guess that's what I would say. A little more playmaking ability on the offensive side of the ball. The run games become dominant, and the defense has just been a little, at least a little opportunistic and making some plays in some big moments, even though they're still underwhelming as a whole this season. Speaking of a run game, we wondered if the Buffalo Bills would ever have one of those this year. They beat the Chicago Bears thirty-five to thirteen. The final score. It is Maverick 30 with a question to you to start this one off. He goes, damn okay to the Buffalo Bills run game. First time this season we've had a real run game and think it could be huge for us down the stretch to make or to take the pressure off of Josh Allen. This was a big, big one. 254 yards on 31 attempts. Singletary had over 100. James Cook was a yard away from 100. A two-headed monster. Yeah, it was against the Bears, but did you see anything there that could help him in the postseason, Chris? Definitely. Uh, and again, I, it's, it's not that they need a ton in that department, but it's just as we've always talked about, you know, it's just they got to take a little off of Josh Allen's plate at times. It just can't always be on him making plays, moving, running, buying time in the pocket, throwing lasers. Like, it's just too much of that to think that's sustainable to win three or four big games to win the Super Bowl. So, yeah, that was encouraging. You know, Dalvin – or, you know, sorry, James Cook, he looks like he's becoming very comfortable and that, like – now that he's feeling mentally comfortable, you're starting to see more burst and explosiveness when he runs the football. Singletary's pretty steady with how he plays. But it was nice to see them have another avenue to beat you. You know, it was another one of those games where, you know, Buffalo was a little stoppy, made some mistakes. Allen, you know, made some too aggressive decisions in that type of a football game. But, you know, they're the damnedest thing ever, Ahmed, where you can go, oh, man, a little bit like the Chiefs and, and some of the great teams we see in the league where it's frustrating and you feel like, oh, man, they're they're being outplayed. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, you're going, well, they turned it on and they're kicking the crap out of this team, uh, even though they've made a handful of mistakes. And that, that was one of these games here between the run game, the defense started to make plays. Allen became a little sharper as the game went on and they put the Bears away. I was impressed with the defensive game plan, too, Ahmed. They had a plan for containing Justin Fields about as good as we've seen anybody all year long. Yeah, let me save that. Put a pin in that. 
because yeah. I want to one more on this run game because yeah, okay, they did it against the Chicago Bears. You get into the postseason, you're in a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it feels like their instinct will be just like abandon it again. Yes. It, it, like, right. do you think this is a weapon that they use in the postseason or? Is it still? I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm unconvinced. Even though as good as it was, I'm, I'm unconvinced, unconvinced too. Um, we because right, we see one of these games every like five weeks from Buffalo, where we go, oh look, they ran the ball. We think it's going to turn around, and then they, you know, hey, listen, they're going to play through Josh Allen. That's what they're going to do. I think the thing that where they don't need to be a great running football team, but they just need to be good enough to where. They get in the playoffs and teams are playing safeties deep and just pass defense, pass defense to where you have to defend that still. And I think with their aggressiveness and as far as the plays they call in the pass game and how they're called to push the ball down the field, you know, they're going to get some really optimal running looks as the game, as the, as this goes along here, because teams are going to go, wait, we're, we're not going to let Josh Allen's right arm beat us. We don't believe you can run the ball on us and all that. So we'll see. But I'm, I'm with you. I'm not sold here either. This is a Bears defense that's well-coached but doesn't have a lot of talent and really had nothing to play for. And, it did, you know, it felt like when the dam broke, they kind of were like, all right, this one's over. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Buffalo still has the one seed to play for. They're tied record-wise with the Chiefs, although they have that head-to-head win, which helps them, gives them the edge. They have clinched their third straight division title, have the Bills. They had none. In the previous 24 years, of course, the Patriots win in a bunch of those. Uh, yeah, over on the, the Bears side, how did they stop Justin Fields? So final numbers for him on the ground, at least. Seven carries, 11 yards. Right. Oh, well, this is what, you know, I wanted to make this a best bet on the pod last week, but I've been scared by Justin Fields because he always breaks four or five runs, and I go, well, there goes, you know, the spread. They've covered, Right. I, one of the things I did point out when I broke this game down a little with Florio on Thursday is Buffalo, they they have a plan for these type of quarterbacks. They do the right things with their defensive line. They don't just let them go crazy and go, oh, well, you just rush the quarterback like it's some normal, you know, everyday Joe here. So they're conscious of not going up the field past the quarterback. That's the biggest thing. So they stay in their lanes. They stay in front of them to where they can react when he makes a move. And then the other thing to me that was a big factor in this, not an overly complicated pass game to worry about in Chicago, right? So I felt like Frazier and McDermott would be able to come up with enough zone coverages to stop the pass plays, but yet we're playing zone. And what does zone do, Ahmed? You can look at the quarterback, right? You're not running down the field covering your receiver with your eyes not on the quarterback to where that would be breaks contained. you got no clue. And Buffalo is a heavy zone team. And I think that was the big thing, that they had all eyes on them all the time. And then they have two linebackers who can really run. And even for like a guy like Justin Fields, make life hard on him in the open field. Uh, I think that was the thing that probably popped to me the most. It's funny. You look at the top three teams in the AFC, and I think you kind of had similar feelings probably on all of them this week. You're like, the Chiefs, come on, put them away. You know, you're kind of playing with them here. Bills, it took them to late in the game to put the Bears away. Cincinnati Bengals, they got lucky with a last-second fumble by Ramondre Stevenson on first and goal from the five with a minute left. I mean, it looked like I, I, I was like, Patriots are going to win this thing. They, they should just let them score so they have at least some time that Joe Burrow can come back and Bring the uh, Bengals back in this right? game. Right? It was getting that close. And then I went, wait, this is the Patriots. And this offense, 
and you play defense because there's no fucking guarantee they're going to get in the end zone. I literally, though, I'm an, I was thinking the same thing you were. I was a little bit like, wait, should they let him score here? And I was like, wait, no. The Bengals got a great defense. The offense of the Patriots is suspect. Hang in there. There's no, there's no guarantee they're going to get in the end zone right here. It almost felt like it was the reverse of the game the Bengals played the week before. I was going to go, like, here's a, you know, like a first half where they should have been up by more than they were, and then they just messed things up in the second half. I mean, this is one of those games where, you know, they went in at halftime and you went, Patriots should be happy it's only 22 to nothing. It should have been like 34 nothing and 28 nothing. I mean, whatever you want to say. I mean, it, it was total domination. Um, they hung in there, and then that that Marcus Jones interception return, you know, that's why I had that guy as my number five DB in our rankings in the draft process because you could see how electric he is, how explosive. He made that return. It kind of rejuvenized the team a little bit. They put one drive together, and then all of a sudden you're going, oh, my gosh, they're going to pull off the upset here. But good play by the Bengals defense and uh, poor Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, let's talk about Marcus Jones, the rookie. Uh, has a receiving touchdown, a punt return touchdown, and an interception return for a touchdown of 40 or more yards. Deion Sanders, the only other player in the Super Bowl era to do that in his career, and he has done it in his first year in it's the amazing. league. Got a question here from Coach Grav, who says, any thoughts on making Marcus Jones a full-time offensive player for the Pats? Seems like they need some more explosiveness on that side of the ball. Already have some decent depth at cornerback. I mean, what... Talk about old school two way player. How cool is uh, how cool is Jones so far? Yeah, what what do you think is the best use of his talent? I, I don't know. It's a tough one because he's like glue in coverage. Like he has the type of talent to be the best nickel cover guy in the NFL. Ahmed. So that's where you just go. I don't know what to do with him. I'd almost want to be. I'd probably keep him on defense and then let him return, and then hey. Like Deion Sanders with the Cowboys in the mid-90s. Like, yeah, we got five offensive plays for him every week where we give him a reverse, we give him a screen. You know, maybe we fake a short pass to him and a double move and he goes down the field. I, I could see that being a part. I think this guy could handle that. But, man, yeah, I would have a hard time taking away from nickel corner. Like, no joke, Bob, man. He, he's got a chance by he can be the best nickel corner in football for a long period of time. I don't, I, he, I don't know that he has a big personality. He needs to grow into that. Because if he's going to do all this stuff on the field, he needs to start acting like it. You know, act well, like Dion a, a little. It's the New England way. And the New England way, <laughs> you got to just yeah. be like this all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, real quick on the Bengals again here. So, I mean, the first half was awesome. I mean, 28 completions by Joe Burrow in the first half, most by a quarterback in a half this season. If you, if you just forget the concerns in the second half, of course, well, how can you do that? But whatever. Um, like what we saw in the first half by the Bengals, that, that's why they're in the Super Bowl conversation again here, right? I mean, it's like a, a defense that's stingy, it's tough to run against, and an offense that when it's rolling, I mean, they put up 300 yards in the first half. It's like that version of the Bengals, would you say is as good as the Bills at their best and as good as the Chiefs at their best? Yes, I would. I would. And I think there's probably less flaws with their team as long as their O-line can protect. It stinks that Lyle Collins towards ACL and is done for the year. But, you know, I, I think what you're saying, and again, you know, he, 
had the interception of McCourty one point. Like, again, that was in the first half. And I think that was the first half. Maybe that was the third quarter. I can't remember off the top of my head. But another moment where you just, like, seemed like they were moving the ball and going to really put them in a tough spot. But, yeah, I guess I have less questions about them as a full team maybe than I do the other two teams, right? I'm not sure they have an area of their team that's an elite area, maybe as much as sometimes the Chiefs and Bills might have, but I don't know if they have the glaring weakness in some spots that maybe the Chiefs and Bills might have in some areas, right? Does that make sense? I hope I'm explaining that the right way. Um, But, you know, Ahmed, the the thing that just like was amazing, and you've heard me say this and you, you just can't be right on defense with him sometimes. You know, he understands his O-line's not great, so he's always got the clock in his head going, I got to get the ball out of his hands. I mean, it looked like New England played every defensive coverage in the history of football in the first half, and it didn't really matter. It's, oh, it's zone, boom, I'll pick you apart. Like we talk about, oh, it's man, I'm going to throw a slant to Chase or Higgins or a back shoulder or whatever. So that's where he just makes you wrong no matter what. And that's where they're scary. And then when you talk about playoff football and, you know, hey, we'll, we'll try this play on offense and we'll do this play on defense this week that's a little crazy. And, you know, and it's the playoffs and we're extra focused and our stars are going to play like stars and all that. Yeah, that's where the Bengals are really dangerous. And there's no doubt they're one of the best teams in football. So they can still win the AFC North, of course, if they win out. Bills. And then Ravens can win it other ways Woo! as well, depending on what the Ravens do here. And they did get a win, even without Lamar game. once again. 17 oh. to 9 was the final score. Uh, they have won three of four games despite scoring 17 points or fewer in all of them. Uh, the Baltimore defense, 25 points allowed per game in the first 11 games. I, that's really the, the headline. Good job by Pete putting that note as the first one here. Because if you would have told us that maybe early on the year, Lamar is going to go down, the offense is going to shut down. You're going to be like, well, we've seen this defense not quite as good as the Ravens defense in the past. Um, what do you make of that? The fact that they've been able to win three of these four games despite the offense really not doing a whole bunch. I, I, I think it's in a lot of ways encouraging, you know, and you think, oh, wait, when Lamar's back, of course, that's going to add another element to their offense, both in the run game and the pass game that makes them more dangerous. But, yeah, I think it's, you know, another team we're seeing here win with team football. and their defense is stingy. You know, that, that's the big – it's hard to run the ball on them. Atlanta didn't really seem like they had any much of a run game until late, in the, you know, into the fourth quarter where they got a little something going on. But they're running the ball the right way. You know, and, hey, it's a backup quarterback. And they got some issues at receiver. I mean, they're, they actually, like, had to play Sammy Watkins this week. That just tells you it all right there. I mean – they're, they're a little down in that department. So I think there's some positive things there with Baltimore. And I think they're a pain in the butt, and they're made for playoff football because they're going to be able to chew up the clock. They're creative on defense. They'll have a few game plan-specific wrinkles in the playoffs. And, you know, that's where, you know, they're going to they're gonna play that style, Ahmed, right? I mean, we talked about that right. last week with the Cleveland game that they lost. They want to play right now. We're going to win 16-10 to 10 or 17-10. to 10 and not turn the ball over and play the ball and play the game that way. And that's kind of what they did in this one. Yeah. Ravens had 184 rushing yards, third straight game with over 180. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they did have a, a receiver catch a touchdown pass to Marcus Robinson. Whoa. 
It is the first Tyler Huntley pass touchdown this season. First reception uh, touchdown by a Baltimore wide receiver since week number three. Uh, you know what? I do feel like one of these games, because what did I have noted here? Atlanta outgained Baltimore. They had more first downs, ran 17 more plays. Almost feels like one of those games where one of these teams is used to winning. One of these teams is used to losing. And the team that's used to winning found a way to win. Yeah, that's it. That's right. They're battle tested. They know what they're doing. They're very comfortable in that type of football game. Atlanta's playing a rookie quarterback. And, you know, a lot of those stats were done you know, late in the game and dink and dunk and three and four yard plays just to get a miraculous drive to get a field goal. At least that's what it felt like on Sunday. You know, it was, it was, it was one of those. It's just like once it's like once Baltimore got control of the game too, they became more conservative. They're like, well, our run game and defense will get it done. We're not going to take any chances and do anything stupid. And let you get some false momentum that way. Uh, and that's where, again, John Harbaugh's phenomenal. He understands his team. And what needs to be done just to win the game that week. And then we'll worry about next week after that. And you know, it sounds like Lamar Jackson's getting close and we we'll might see him here in the next two weeks or so. Probably going to be a playoff team. And it's a lot of these wins without Lamar Jackson that has got him in this position. The Atlanta Falcons officially eliminated from postseason contention. We will do the Requiem for a team on Wednesday uh, because since we gave Kristen the day off, uh, she has the music and she wouldn't give it to us. So uh, we can't play the music without uh, we can't do Requiem without the music. So we'll do that on Wednesday for uh, Atlanta. Ray, lay them to rest uh, officially. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Moving on now to the Steelers and the Raiders. And this game, you know, Pete noted here, you can't fight fate on the week, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, the passing of Franco Harris. And it was once again, a Steelers late comeback. It was a rookie quarterback that did it. Kenny Pickett, um, kind of just like it was uh, meant to be, Chris. Yeah, I mean, really, it just seemed like a, 70s Steelers type of win. Cold night, Raiders are in town. We're going to run the ball, be tough. You know, pretty much high percentage, low risk passing game. We're going to out hit you and our defense will make a few plays and we'll win the game. I mean, it just uh, had a great look on TV, even though it was a game that you know necessarily didn't have a lot of big plays. But yeah, the Franco Harris element, and the fact that you could feel 
that looming over the Steelers organization just when they were walking in the building that night, wearing the jersey and all that. There was like the pressure and the motivation for them to win for for that cause. And mm. yeah, there's not a lot of great X's and O's. The Steelers are another one of those teams like you're just talking about, Amin. They know who they are. They're just going to play to win the game that week. They don't care how it looks. And, you know, it was ugly. But they just were out, you know, they out physical the Raiders and, and just didn't make mistakes. And that's really all it came down to. Yeah, the, the Steelers somehow are still in playoff contention. It's amazing. They've not been officially eliminated. They're 7-8 and eight right now. I'm rooting. I mean, Mike Tomlin, what? He hasn't had a losing season his entire career. I'm rooting for a, a win and a tie, two wins here on out. Who knows? Maybe they squeak into the playoffs again. How crazy would that be? All right. And, yep. And, I, and I, at least I don't have to kiss your feet this year if they do. So that would be a God good thing. Thank God we didn't do that. Thank God. We Thank God is right. Like um, what What do you make about uh, the Raiders here? Because we got a question from Lip Smackling Good that says, I know you are uh, tight with McDaniels and the Patriots way, but do you think he – brought too many people with him from the Patriots and needs to go outside with his hires. Just seems to be game management is their biggest issue and wondering if it's too much of an echo chamber with the Raiders right now. No, I, I hear you there. Listen, Josh is a, it's, it's a valid point. I get that. See, I think the, the first time around when he was the head coach of the Denver Broncos, there were a lot of people that were outside of the new England family that were brought there. And I think that was one of the issues to him is that he couldn't get people to understand the New England way and what it mm. took and the detail. And, yeah, I know the last coaching staff, you left at 830 at night, but New England, we still got like four more hours left. So suck it up, right? And it's not always, like, lovely, the adjustment for the organization. But I think that's, again, why, like, to, to, the, to the question here, it's a good one. You got to let it take its course. He's got nowhere near the team he wants right now to play his scheme on either side of the ball. And that's where I've just said, you know, they need to be patient there a little bit. And they've had some big injuries on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, they blew some games and some, you know, late game moments there. I, I understand that. But, uh, no, I think that at the end of the day, the fact that he has – more of the New England way of people around him and even in the front office, I think is going to be a good thing. We'll see. I know maybe I'm biased because I root for the guy and I've known him for a while, and I do believe him as an offensive play caller. I do. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I just that's what I would preach to the Raiders fans. Just let this process go here. It, it's, it, they didn't make the Patriots a dynasty for 20 years by just getting it done in six, six, eight, ten weeks, right? Yeah, nine losses. Eight of them have been by one score. They've it's blown amazing. leads of 20 and 17 a couple times. And so, no, they have had leads in game. You know, always my philosophy on that. I'd rather have be blowing leads than never have leads because uh, I've seen some Lions seasons like that where you're not even in, in games. Um, you, you don't want to do either. But if I had to choose, I think I'd rather eventually have a few leads throughout the, the course of a season. Uh, Devontae Adams, two catches, 15 yards. His fifth game this season, under 40 yards. He had four such games in his previous five seasons with the Packers. Uh, it was supposed to be this connection between his college teammate of Derek Carr. And now, you know, I follow a lot of Raiders people as well from my time out in the Bay Area. And they got to make a decision on Derek Carr at the end of this year. I think it's a $40 million decision. And I I've always been one who's been supportive of Derek Carr. I think he's a, you know, solidly above average quarterback in the yeah. NFL. And I think he's right. he can win a Super Bowl with with Derek Carr, but that's a lot of money. And when you're constructing a roster, you got to think about things like that. 
I mean, what's your what's your gut telling you? Do you think this is you know, we're going to see Derek Carr with the Raiders going forward? I think so. I, I I would expect it. I'd be surprised. I mean, again, the the thing I always fall into with these kind of questions is like, all right, so who's going to be out there that's definitely going to be better than Derek Carr? And you know, you said it right. Derek Carr is definitely in the top half of football, top ten ish to a degree. This is a big adjustment. That's where I just, I again, that's where I'm preaching here a little bit for the patience of this situation. $40 million is not necessarily all that crazy for a quarterback this day and age. And, you know, he's a guy that, like I was trying to say before the year, this is a totally different system. Rules and things that are totally different. And to your point, like, hey, yeah, it's been a little feast or famine with Devontae Adams and knowing how to get him the ball. Well, I, I think that also plays into, like, you know, they're still in the infancy stages of this offense. And and they haven't even gotten into the, wait, when teams overplay this so much, we got all these plays for Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, which are going to screw defenses over. You know, them being injured, I think, kind of hindered that progress too. They never had to go into the Gronkowski part of the playbook because Darren Waller's been hurt for so much. And the Edelman part of the playbook, and these, again, are very intricate and detailed and more sophisticated than a lot of offenses in football, where I, that's where I just preach the time for it. And I would – Derek Carr, to me, is the ultimate student. You know he's going to work. The players like him, as you can see. He's a leader, and I just don't think you let a guy like that out the door very easily. Yeah, if you do, who are you going to bring in? A guy like exactly. Tom Brady? Tom Brady, maybe? Oh, who knows? Maybe he'll be out there as we transition to the next game. See, even on Zoom, Chris, we can still do. We can still find the transitions. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> change anything. Uh, Buccaneers defeat the Cardinals on Sunday night football on Christmas Day in overtime. 19-16 to 16. wasn't a great one. Uh, we had Trace McSorley quarterbacking the Cardinals being like, well, this is going to be a blowout. And it almost was for the Cardinals, strangely enough, in a game that they still didn't look very good. Uh, Tom Brady with his third, fourth quarter comeback this season, all scoring less than 20 points. And this is what I learned about fourth quarter comebacks from watching Matt Stafford and, and the Lions. I mean, Matt Stafford's got some of the most, you know, fourth quarter comebacks of any quarterback in history. Usually I feel like that stat, you know, yeah, you're, you're clutch. You came through when it mattered the most, but I feel like usually that stat means your team's not that good and you're in a lot of close games and Hey, congratulations to the bucks. They've, they've won a few of those close games and Tom Brady did it again. What'd you, what'd you make of that, that win for the bucks? It's like, you know, great that they won and they hung in there. <laughs> right. But I, how do you feel good about it? Right. I mean, what, what, like you should never be down sixteen to six to Trace McSorley and the and the Arizona Cardinals. It just it's it just doesn't seem like anything is easy for them on either side of the ball. You know the defense is still good, but it's not great. It's not, and you know they can make some plays. We know that and all that, but it's not a it's not a dominant defensive line. That's an issue. We know the offensive line's not dominant either. You know as you see last night too. You know, Brady, yeah, two interceptions, probably going to throw in another one or two to go along with that. It's just this is who they are. And, and I'm, I'm not so sure they are going to get in. You know, again, Carolina, I know, is not great, but 
they're they're very much as equal to the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here. It's just going to be interesting to see that head to head matchup. So yeah, great clutch drives at the end and an overtime to win it. But yeah, underwhelming overall, and it's just hard to look at them and go, oh yeah, they're gonna they're gonna match up with the better teams in the NFC in the playoffs and be able to hang in there. I just have a hard time to believe that. Well, Pete's written in here into our rundown. He goes, this Bucks team is so bad. It might be genuinely surprising when they beat the Cowboys in the wild card round. But oh, oh, sure. <laughs> there's Pete's Giants bias coming in once again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, four straight games with an interception for Tom Brady. You mentioned it already. He's got seven in uh, that span. A couple in this game. Thomas Espena. Great to, to have the homie. Uh, Merry Christmas to Tomas out there. Damn okay to your guy, Marco Wilson. Great timing and awareness on those picks of Tom Brady. He's a player. I mean, he is. They have a secondary that I really like. I mean, I know Byron Murphy Jr. wasn't out there last night, but those two safeties, Marco Wilson, yeah, they 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 got some playmakers in that department. Uh, they're one thing with Arizona, if they can just get a, you know, maybe another legit pass rusher to go along with the group, so they don't always have to blitz and create pressure that way. They'll become a more dangerous defense. And hey, the defense. I give them a lot of credit for the way they played last night. Cardinals had no – they could have easily just packed it in and been like, this year's over. They played tough last night. And there they were, you know, 16-13, to 13, leading the game and driving, and we fumbled the handoff, right? And and that 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 it just was unbelievable that way. Um, it, it was unbelievable that the Bucs were in that type of game – and then it was unbelievable the way Arizona kind of gave it up at the end and let them back in it and, you know, eventually lost. What do you think? You think this is it for Cliff Kingsbury? It feels like it. You know, it feels like it. it's never good to me when you're an offensive coach, the majority of the money is on the offensive side of the ball, and that's clearly the weakness of your football team. Now, that is never a good look. Um you know, and I just I don't know how much influence Kyler Murray and his relationship with Kingsbury has. I don't know. That's the one part that kind of throws a wrench in this whole thing. But it it does feel like we're maybe coming to the end here with with that situation. Other side, Tampa Bay clinches the NFC South with a win versus Carolina this week. Those two play uh, in a week. Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, they beat my Detroit Lions. Pete, we were supposed to take this one out of the rundown. Whoa. I don't know how this one beat? Got Is that there. the proper word? Is that what we're going to just say beat? barely edged past my Detroit Lions. Uh, <laughs> it was cold at kickoff. It was 20 degrees, the coldest home game in Carolina history. See, the Lions weren't prepared for that. It was like yeah. they looked at the historical records, the Farmer's Almanac, and it was like, it's not going to be that cold there. I think we're going to be okay. And they're like, this isn't supposed to be happening. Uh, they set a franchise record to the Panthers in rushing yards and total yards, 570 total yards for the game. 320 on the ground. I mean, Deontay Foreman went over 160. He had 165. Chuba Hubbard had 125. I think it was career highs for both of those guys. Um, they both the had 100 at halftime. <laughs> okay. I already gave all those stats. I already kind of like said it was so bad for the Lions. Um, I want to give full credit to the Panthers because I don't really want to talk about the Lions on this side of it, although we will. But that was like, yes, the Lions – Defense is terrible. Their run defense is awful. But still, well, we, do that we've against seen other them be good, right? I'm exactly. in the last few weeks. Yeah. That was crazy. I did not expect that kind of gashing. I was shocked by that. Yeah. Um. And, and this is why the the Panthers are are still in it. As crazy as that is, 
the Carolina Panthers have figured out kind of like probably what impresses you the most and makes you smile is they've, they figured out how they win best for the Carolina Panthers. That's right. You know, they're playing the appropriate way for what they are. I think that's the biggest thing. And they're not going to deviate from that. And yeah, I, 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 you know, again, it's, I got to go back and watch this just to see what were the run plays that they were just gashing you guys with. You know, we've, we've seen your, your lions have played good run defense against some teams that can run the ball pretty damn well. The last five, six weeks, I was shocked by that. I really was. And I thought they had kind of fixed that issue. But obviously, Carolina found a schematical thing that they liked within the game. But, I mean, just some of the runs, they just were like, whoa, he's flying through the line of scrimmage, and nobody's even touching him until 15 yards down the field. That's where it was shocking. And then, you know, even with as bad as that was, what were we at here? I just want to make sure I got this right. We were at 7-7, right? Here's, to me, one of the big moments of the game. And it felt like your Lions had kind of swung momentum in their favor. They're driving down the field, and you have the fumbled snap, right, mm-hmm. by Jared Goff. And and I, I don't know what really happened there. It looked like it was, the you know, the center made a really aggressive move to the left, and that sometimes can make the ball just be a little off center as far as the snap's concerned. And – I went, oh, okay, well, they're way down there. You know, Carolina's not the type of team that's just going to drive down. He threw, I believe, a big pass, Sam Donald, to to DJ Moore. It might have been Terrace Marshall, I believe, on this one. And it was like they just jump-started again, and they just started kicking the crap out of you guys again. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, Detroit had got it inside the 10. They were at the 8-yard right? line there in the fumble, and then you're right. 91 yards. Carolina goes down and scores a, a touchdown and then scored a touchdown on the very next possession, then a field goal, then a touchdown. I mean, they had four straight scoring drives after that that fumble, and basically the, the game was over. Lions offense did get going a little bit uh, yep. after that, but uh, Jared Goff's fumble was Detroit's first turnover in four games, and so that tells you why the Lions had made the run that they had run, a pretty good offense that was holding on to the ball and not making silly silly mistakes like they did. Uh, in this game, this basically, I don't know, it feels like it might be over for Detroit, although they can still get in, but they need help now in the wild card. And, and realistically, like no one thought this was a playoff team. So I'm just this is this is what it's called, like conditioning yourself to prepare yourself for the worst. As a Lions fan, I'm like, you know what? Good run. They've proven that they have some ability on offense. They've got some key playmakers on defense, even if they don't make it into the postseason. I think it's still a win for Detroit this year. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, you're you're not out, like you said. You know, and, like, I'm just trying to figure this out because I, I should have had – I had it all printed out as far as the playoff scenarios and all that, and I don't have it with me. But, uh, yeah, it, Washington, could they lose out? I mean, yeah, there's possibilities here still. You got the Bears. You guys certainly can beat the Packers. You got the head-to-head matchup against Washington here. So we'll see. And Washington against the Cleveland Browns, that won't be easy. And then Cowboys, you know, week 18, that's what could hurt you, Ahmed, is they could be playing Washington a game where the Cowboys are locked into the number five seed and they're not going to play in week 18. And it'll almost for surely give the the Washington commanders a win. And then it's, you know, requiem for a a team for the uh, Detroit Lions. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is fine, and and thank goodness that I didn't have to read it until the end of the year. I mean, that's we're, right. We're it was into, a win. 
January. That's a, that's certainly a win. Uh, Carolina can still clinch the NFC South if they win out. They're at Tampa. They're at New Orleans. They're now five and five under Steve Wilkes. Who who knows? It's amazing. I, I, I doubt he'll get a look as the the main man, but he's at least put himself in the conversation. Yeah, and he he needs to get a second chance at some point in his career, regardless. He got a you know an unfair shake in Arizona and how that went down. Uh, and yeah, he's he's certainly proven he understands how to manage a game, the appropriate way to play. And you know it, it's cool to see. You know, I mean, this is kind of the some of the talents I saw from this football team as far as their roster. It's, it's cool to see them capitalize and, and play the right way. Um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I think they'll be toe-to-toe with Tampa Bay this week. They're certainly not going to be outclassed, and they know who they are, like you said, and they know how to play that style of football. Yeah, the NFC South is a jumbled mess right now. Carolina's still in it. The AFC South, a jumbled mess as well. No team with a winning record. We got two teams at seven and eight atop the division, the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans, who lost their fifth straight. This is crazy. Never thought we'd see this with uh, Mike Vrabel. They've had some injuries, though, at quarterback. Tannehill uh, could not finish this game. Houston gets the win, 19-14. to 14. Houston snaps their nine-game losing streak in a game where Derrick Henry went over 100 yards, had a long touchdown run, but lost another fumble. And so it's like this Tennessee team is they don't make a whole lot of huge, huge plays outside of a, a Derrick Henry screen or a long run. And it seems like they're they're making enough mistakes to make it really hard on themselves. Where would you where would you put the Tennessee Titans right now? It almost feels like one of those teams where it's like if if they just stopped playing, their fan base would be like, that's fine. Let's just take the rest of the year off and try again next year. Reboot. I, I just don't know if they have the the horses to play the way you're kind of explaining, right? We're going to, you know, offensively run the ball, control the clock, right? Make a few plays in the pass game, and then we're going to play through our defense. I think there's two things. The pass game is so less than that they can't even depend on it, even, you know, as little as they want to depend on it already, if that makes any sense there. There's, you know, and then, then you add in, it's a rookie quarterback. And the court and you know the wide receiver issues that are still a thing. Where it's like if they had Ryan Tannehill, you go, oh, okay, well maybe they can make it work to a degree. It's still going to be really hard, you know. But then also the the defense is just not quite as good and as dominant as we've seen with some of these last you know Tennessee Titan playoff teams. Uh, so that's where you know I don't know if they can carry them through here. And they don't have to play anybody this week, and I think they'd be smart to rest everybody. So they can go all in on the week 18 matchup against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. Um, but yeah, it just seems like it's uh, just one too many things for this football team to overcome this year. And then they're really struggling here down the stretch. So yeah, the AFC South winner will be decided in the final game of the season right. between the Titans and Jaguars, regardless of what happens in right. week 17. I kind of had the same thought as you, although a lot of teams lost. And so I do feel like, there is a chance that both of these teams could make the playoffs, right? Like, I, I still I, think they're, they're in it. So it's like, I do feel like if they win week 17 and even lose week 18, I, I, maybe not. I don't, I don't know. I, I was just well, trying to think like maybe there's a reason. a lot of things to fall their way, right? Yeah. That, that's probably where I'd look at it more than anything. You know, they don't have a great conference record. That's going to hurt them as well. You know, but yeah, you know, again, win the, 
or, or win this week and then lose to Jacksonville and things fall their right way, you're right. They might still be able to sneak in, but I think it's got to be a lot of things that have to happen yeah. that way. I think their best bet uh, it would, would probably be to, to rest them up, try to win that game. Then you yeah. get the home playoff game and you see where it goes from there. Uh, and again, like we saw them with Jacksonville just a few weeks ago, really control the whole first half of that game. And then to your point, they, they're, they're making some turnovers and some bad spots where they're just not good enough to overcome that. They need to run for 100 yards, dominate time of possession, have no turnovers, and the defense has to be stingy and probably cause one turnover for them to win a football game. And that's a hard formula right now, I think, for, for the Tennessee Titans. Maybe the thing I'd be most depressed about if I was a Titans fan and started to keep piling on, but we just talked about my Lions, and so I'm, I'm depressed myself now and want to bring other people down to my level, uh, is the fact that it, you know your current window, it looks like it might be closing, and your new window's opening up, and you, you hope you have a, a franchise quarterback. You, you drafted Malik Willis. Not, not high in the draft, but you're kind of holding out hope that maybe he's the guy. He has three starts this year. He has 234 pass yards combined in those starts. No, they haven't thrown the ball that much. Right. He's, Obviously, shown he's more skilled right now, at least as a as a running quarterback than a throwing yeah. quarterback. But I don't know. What do you think? We've gotten to see Malik Wells a little bit. What do you, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a tough situation. I mean, it's it's a raw quarterback who is being thrown into a situation. You know, as everybody is kind of hitting on all cylinders during the NFL season, and he gets thrown in there. And then I think when you add on top of that, even with a good quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, this is a struggling passing game and has a hard time making plays that way. And now you add on a rookie with rawness to his game. I just think it's, yeah, it's a tough spot for him to be in. Not only just for him personally, but the offense isn't good enough to kind of help him out either. Uh, so uh, I, I don't want to judge too critically of this situation that he's been put in here. You know, Malik Willis to me is a guy that, yeah, he needs to play and you need to play a certain way uh, for to utilize his strengths to kind of buy some time to let some of the weaknesses get worked out so he can get better and more polished in the pocket, making the right decisions. So this is hard to be thrown into this situation at the end of the year here where the offense has already been set up to kind of play one way. And that's hard for a rookie to come in and do it. There is a small, small chance, Pete has done the research here, that Tennessee wins the division and Jacksonville can still get the wild card. Tennessee, right, it's a lot of stuff, right. Yeah, Tennessee can only win the AFC South. If they lose Week 18, okay. they're out of the playoffs entirely, so they have no chance at a wild card. Jacksonville still does because they played so well lately. They got the win over the Jets, 19-3 to was the final score. They have won four of their last five games since starting the year at 3-7. and seven. Only one other team in NFL history has made the playoffs after starting three and seven. That was back in 2020, the Washington football team. That was a name ago for Washington. So it hasn't happened since they changed their name. Uh, that Jaguars are, fu they're a fun team. You know, it's Agreed. like, uh, if you talk about a franchise quarterback, that's looking like a franchise quarterback right now. If you're the Jaguars, you're like, man, we, we get, we got something going here. And maybe, maybe this year we could squeak into the postseason. Yeah. I mean, Squeak in, be scary. Uh, yeah, of course they're winning. I've stopped picking them to win after picking them every game the first 10 <laughs> games of the season. Now they're on fire. 
All right. Now I keep picking them to lose close ones now and they keep winning them. But that was impressive. And, you know, the one thing I think happened during that game that I was a little worried about is that the I picked the Jets to win the game. But uh, one of the things I said during the picks podcast a little, Ahmed, it was like the one thing that scares me is Jacksonville's much bigger than the Jets and they can really overpower them. And I think we saw that. I mean, here, here's the first thing we got to say. Trevor Lawrence is for sure a top 10 quarterback in football right now, boom. And I'm not so sure he's probably not in the top seven, six, seven, eight. It's it's that good to where it's gotten. I mean, it's it's not only I can run the system, but it's also wait, like get on my back and I can carry you through some crazy moments and make plays that are unbelievable. So that's the first thing we got to talk about. But then, yes, you know, the way they executed and just absolutely overpowered the Jets defense. I mean, just went up and down the field on them for the, mo- the better part of the night. And a night where you knew you could overplay the run to a degree because it was not a pass the football over the field type of night. And that's where that was impressive. Uh, that was impressive. Their defense played, played really good. And then, of course, the Jets looked like they lost fire as a team. And Zach Wilson and the offense looked like absolute shit. All right, we'll get to Zach Wilson in just one second because I want to give a hat tip to Evan Ingram. Used to play his uh, home games in New York. 337 yards the last three weeks. That is third most in the NFL behind Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown. You've liked Evan Ingram for a long time. It was like, he's got the potential. He could be a big-time playmaker. We just hadn't necessarily seen it for a sustained period of time, and now we are seeing it at the end of the year. What do you think of uh, him being like a legit guy who – can help you do a whole lot of other things on offense. He's got Pro Bowl type physical ability. He's got all pro type physical ability. He's got the type of ability to be one of the three or four or five best pass catching tight ends in football. You know, it's 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 one of those stories, a lot like Zach Wilson, who we're gonna talk about in a minute. He, he needed a scenery change. The New York fan base had got on him to such a point that if he ever made a mistake again, everybody, oh my God. Oh, Evan Ingram, get him there, get rid of him, get him out of here. Oh, he he he's the number one tight end. Oh my God, no, no, it's hard. Like so, he was in a no-win situation, and now he's gotten to a place where yeah, they know how to utilize him in the offense. He's comfortable, and he's getting to show his his physical ability. I thought there'd be a chance he would have a big night. I did. He was he was my prop player of the game, right Ooh. for my BetMGM segment, Ahmed, because I thought the Jets. Might have a hard time with the size of the Jacksonville. They're going to be over-aggressive, trying to fill run gaps and overwhelm them that way, which then always leads to the tight end taking advantage of some plays and that over-aggressive nature there. And They did a, a great job of kind of playing to both of those on Thursday night in that dominant win. That's a smart move in a game that you picked wrong, always to bring up something that happened that you did call well, in the game there. You know, it's like, I, you know, well, I did call. I know. Yeah, I'm not hedging, but I, I, again, no, I, these games are so tight, and I always yes. try to give a little thing that scares me. I picked this game, but this scares me where the game could go the other way. And that was my scare me the other way thing. Uh, and I probably should have had more things that scared me the way that looked for the Jets. So I'm going to read a couple comments here. The first one you've already kind of talked about with the way that New York dealt with Evan Ingram and and uh, the narrative got so bad. I think CD2K is seeing the same thing with Zach Wilson. Here he goes. Hello, homies. Hope you're enjoying the holidays as a fan, likely in the minority among the Jets fan base. I am disgusted with the organization for having allowed certain narratives to fester and metastasize throughout the fan base regarding Zach Wilson. 
Crypto Mug 358, and you can address both of these together if you want, Chris, says, can Zach Wilson turn it around in another system? Uh, you've defended him quite a bit, and I agree with you on how the Jets handled his benching poorly, but you can't deny that he's playing bad football. His confidence is gone. He needs a fresh start in a new place. What do you think? Chris? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and yeah, I, I agree. I do still have confidence in him. You know, again, it, it's two years in the NFL. You know, and he's a guy that was hurt a little bit, too. So it's a year and a half. If we just wrote off every quarterback after a year and a half, damn, we would have never saw Terry Bradshaw. We never saw Troy Aikman win Super Bowls. Steve Young, damn, throw him away. Phil Sims. I mean, there's, again, who the, we've gotten into this point where we just think, yeah, year one, you should be a star and take over the league. Like, no, that happens every now and then in special, special cases. So, yes, there's some problems. The confidence is an issue, and that's where the Jets have caused that. They've caused doubt and com- lack of confidence from the quarterback. How could he feel confident? Well, 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 how? You know that that's that was my only my thing to begin with. Here, you're five and two. You let them play against the Bears the next week. All right, that's where they gain confidence. How can you be confident to where they made you not dress for a few weeks and then think like, oh, they feel good about me and I feel good about myself, and that makes the fan base feel better. So there's there's a lot of issues here. But, yes, it's over. It's over. I mean, Zach Wilson should not want to be here with the Jets anymore. And, I'm, I mean, it sounds like the Jets fans don't want him either. You know, but there's, you know, yeah, he has to fix some issues with his mechanics. There's no doubt about that. We've addressed that on other podcasts. And then also on that, I just want to go, you know, the Jets offense has issues. You know, again, like what, what, what were they trying to get accomplished in the game the other night? I don't even know what they're trying to do at times. That would be the thing I would question. Uh, so, yes, I, I, uh, I think it's over for Zach Wilson. They did a horrible job in this situation, orchestrating it the right way. And now they're going to be back in the market for a quarterback, you know, somehow, some, some way in the offseason. So Pete has thrown in some examples of quarterbacks who, if you were a homie and you're, you know, born after, you know, 1975, uh, Alex Smith, Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith, some other quarterbacks who, you know, you didn't see necessarily that playmaking ability until later on. Now, Alex Smith is always kind of always what he was, but, um, yeah, I think those are other good examples. And because Jets fans would say, well, we've seen it. We've 20 starts. That's that's more than enough to see or whatever it is at this point for Zach. That's Wilson. crazy. That's yeah, it's, that's see. crazy. It's, it's it's the team wasn't all that good last year and couldn't help him in ways this year. You know, yes, he's got some issues for sure, but it was a tough situation. He missed the first few games of the year, got thrown in against the best defenses in football to where they played a style of football that went. Let's be conservative on offense, play through the defense. And then they wondered why he can't throw for 350. Just, uh, hey, now it's time to throw for 350 and win us a game against the Patriots. Oh, okay. Like it's, that's where it just, it's not realistic that way, you know? And there's other issues there too. And I, you know, so it's, yeah, he's got to go back to the drawing board though and fix himself first. There's no doubt about that. But yes, uh, the Jets deserve some of this blame here to go along with it. And now he's just got to find the right spot for next year, be a backup for someone where he knows if he gets a chance, he'll be around some talent and be able to do something. And, you know, I'd love to see him go to Kansas City and be Mahomes' backup or something Mm. like that. That's the kind of scenario he'd be perfect for. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Time now for Give Me the Headlines presented by Hyundai. I do that abrupt transition because uh, we've been talking a long time about these games. We've got uh, two more to go here. Not a whole lot to talk about in this first one, so we'll save uh, most of the time for the second game, which we do have some breaking news about this uh, other game we're going to talk about. Don't look, Chris. Have you seen it? Don't, don't, don't look. Don't look. Don't look. I'll, we'll have you do the noise and everything. First, I let's start it. with... Oh, man. Okay. Sorry. Well, Sorry. All right. I thought it might happen today, though. Okay. All right. We'll start with the Saints and Browns. Saints defeat the Browns. 17 to 10 is the final score. Your headline for this game is... Fleur, Fleur de Lis don't lose on Christmas Eve? What? <laughs> you can't... Christianity and Catholic on Christmas Eve? Nobody loses like that. We should have known when you have that symbol on your helmet, you never lose on a day of holiness like that, even if it isn't Cleveland. Uh, so I don't know. That was a silly one, but a good job by the Saints gutting it out and some tough elements there and uh, beating the Cleveland Browns, who you know kind of been on a win streak and, and figured out how to win some games here as of late. Yeah, so it was six degrees the Woo. winds were like 25 miles an hour. The wind chill was negative 16. It was cold. And so it was one of those games where you figure, all right, whichever team gets out to the lead is probably going to win because points are going to be hard to come by. It was the exact opposite, though. So give That's the Saints right. credit. 17 unanswered points after falling behind uh, 10 to nothing. Deshaun Watson, a career worst passer rating in those bad conditions. Also didn't get a whole lot of help from his receivers. Four dropped passes, most by any quarterback uh, this week and so yeah it's browns are in a murky territory right now uh they got to figure out what they what they got and and i guess the saints right. still still have a chance here uh but they have to win out and the bucks have to lose out for them to win okay so yeah it's uh you know good win for the the, the saints certainly i mean it's ugly like you said it was just a defensive struggle i'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you I had a whole lot of attention on this football game you know i i knew what was going on um, it seemed like Cleveland had control and Saints kind of put together an ugly touchdown drive. And then the big play of the game was, of course, late in the game or the last touchdown set up by the New Orleans Saints. And yeah, Watson's still not Deshaun Watson. The Browns are playing for next year. Don't even worry about this year. This is just about getting Watson's feet wet, getting your team and culture and things headed in the right direction so you can be legit in 2023. But yeah. Little unlucky, you know, throwing a slant to David Bell on the left, tight coverage, ball gets knocked in the air, it's just a hair off target. And, you know, uh, Sorensen did a good job coming down with the ball, left the short field, and the Saints kind of put the game away. It's just that, yeah, that Cleveland offense doesn't have a whole lot to offer right now. You know, they're not extremely explosive in the pass game. I think they're somewhat simplified because Deshaun Watson's still getting used to things. And, you know, New Orleans defense not as dominant as we've seen in years past, but creative and a pain in the butt still nonetheless, Ahmed. And, you know, good job by them gutting it out and finding a way to win. 
one more game to go. Two teams that have no playoff hopes at this point. Uh, you might have to do a new headline on this one, Chris. You might have to like come up with one on the fly here. So Rams defeat the Broncos 51-14, the final score. Chris, your headline for this is? That crap was so bad, we got to fire the coach. <laughs> How about that okay. on the fly? <laughs> if you wanted to see what it's like when we come up with these at, uh, at that moment, that's what, that's what happens. Um, so that is the breaking news. Nathaniel Hackett is no longer with the Denver Broncos. Um, I guess not shocked. I mean, this year went so poorly in a year where their expectations were so high. Maybe an unfair situation for a first-year head coach going into this too. New ownership. They didn't even hire him. I mean, it's just a weird year. So what do you think? Nathaniel Hackett no longer in Denver. I'm not surprised. I'm not. I, when we were watching the game yesterday, I, I was like, this is the kind of game that gets you fired when it's over. Like, even though they probably wanted to wait till the season was over to fire you, you look like that on national TV on Christmas Day. And then your guy that's making quarter of a billion dollars looks like that at quarterback. That's like, you know, even I don't care who you are. The owners are going to have a hard time dealing with that. You know, even if there is only two games left, it's like, oh, let's just cut the cord and get this energy out of the building and just start new. But that was a embarrassment, a disaster in all levels. The defense been so good all year to get torn up that way. But why did they get torn up? Because the offense was so bad and Russell Wilson was so bad that he let Baker Mayfield in the offense like, hey, here's a short field. Get some confidence. Get some going here. Get a lead so you guys can just – have no conscience and just go everywhere on us. It's it's head scratchingly bad by the Broncos. The offense, Russell Wilson, the way he looked. It's 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 unbelievable at moments where you just go, is this year one? Is he a rookie? Did he play college football? Or is this a guy we've talked about being a Hall of Famer? I just I've never seen anything like it, Amon. So is this a good job? Is this a good job for a head coach out there? Can they can they lure I mean, there's only so many head coach openings every year, but you're supposed to have all the pieces in place here, but it certainly didn't look like that. Where does Denver go from here? I I still think it's going to be a pretty appealing job. You know, I think the big thing is, is just that head coach, is he going to be comfortable with Russell Wilson? And, you know, the things you hear about him as a person and a player and all of those, and do you think you can make it work? But, I, I mean, as I look at it, I still think there's a lot of positives to talk about as far as the roster is concerned. You know, offensive line, that needs to be fixing. You know, they'll get Javante Williams back. We know the receivers are good. The defense is damn good. So, yeah, I, I think this will be a, a pretty appealing job that, that coaches are definitely going to want. But, yeah, there's going to be that pressure looming over this about you have to correct Russell Wilson. We're stuck with him for the next four years. And – you know, that 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 could give some coaches some trepidation, at least the ones that maybe have their their pick of the litter and have some other options where they might go. I don't know. I don't know if I can fix this guy. So it'll be interesting to see. New head coach, Daryl Bevel. They're like, hey, you did it before. Just figure it out again. Just make it work again. Yeah, you, <laughs> How'd you make it work? Whatever you did before, just do that again. Uh, there's more to talk about with the Rams here. We're going to have to talk about that another day, I think, because I, I think at the end of the year, there's going to be some interesting things with Baker Mayfield. Like, is he part of this team? Cam Akers. Um, just real quick, Chris, you know, 10, 20 seconds. 
you know, Rams big win in this one. What, what did we learn that can go into next year for them? Maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, one, you see Baker Mayfield can still make throws and plays as a quarterback. And then he's got starting caliber traits and he's a starting quarterback in football. Uh, the Rams say what you want. You know, it's one thing I love about McVay. They're another team, no matter what they answer the bell, they come out, they hit, they play hard, right? Their defense is still stingy. They, they're not that far off. Cooper Cup's healthy. Cam Akers healthy. You know, the rest of the receiving core is there. They got to obviously probably infuse another receiver at the position to improve that group a little bit there. Hopefully Allen Robinson can be a little bit more of a, a, a have a more of a presence this year. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rams make the appropriate moves and re right back in the playoff conversation conversation next year with the with uh, out there in LA. I wouldn't be shocked by that. That was give me the headlines presented by Hyundai. Final look at the final game, and we've gone long on this uh, holiday. We've given you a present to the homies. We've gone a little longer on this holiday edition of uh, Chris Sims Unbuttoned, the BetMGM Parlay Preview. Chargers at Colts, Chargers favored by three and a half. The over-under is 44 and a half. So you have the Chargers covering in a game that's just barely going under 24-20. That was your pick on Thursday's pod. And I believe if the Chargers win, right, they clinch. They're in the postseason. Yes. yes. All right, so how do you see this this playing out? I would expect them to to win, but I don't think this will be easy necessarily. There's two reasons. You know, again – Colts defense, they're pretty sound. And against the offense that you know you've heard me say is not overly creative or outside the box in the passing game, I think they can give that passing game some issues. And we know they're not a great running team. And then I think Nick Foles, a quarterback, you know, gives them a little bit of the unexpected. We don't, they're going to be able to dial up some plays and as the Chargers defense is seeing on film all week preparing to the game, they're, they're not going to be able to have their safeties at seven yards deep. Like this quarterback, Nick Foles is going to be able to throw post routes and go routes down the field mm. to where you can't just be aggressive all the time. So that like gives Indianapolis a little bit of an advantage as far as the chargers are not going to see some of the plays on film that are going to be called tonight with Nick Foles. And that can, of course, open up the run game a little bit to go along with that. I think the Colts will be a pain in the butt here, but the chargers win the game. The action never stops at BetMGM. You can sign up now using the bonus code SIMS. Your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. So say you bet $100 on Austin Eckler to score the first TD, which there always is a good chance that happened. It's the most popular bet on BetMGM right now. If you win, you get $400. But if you lose, you still get $100 worth of free bets. Simply download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter the bonus code SIMS to make your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. As always, don't spend all your Christmas money in one bet, though. Be responsible out there. And with that, we have come to the finish line on this day after Christmas. Chris Sims unbuttoned from location. Oh, my gosh. I didn't change the light at all. I was going to say it at one point, but we were we were already at an hour and 45 minutes, and I was like, ah, okay. We were at the 49ers. I was like, can you make it red? Can you do something? I could have done it. God dang yeah. it. That's Next okay. Time. Next dang Christmas. It. That's what you say. Next Christmas. We'll be back on it. 
Are those skis? What the hell are those things? And it's just wood. It's a two by four. Chris, we're at an hour and 55, 58 minutes now. We got to wrap it up. Enough All about right. See my, you later. my background. Peace <laughs> out. Everybody have a good week. We'll be back on Wednesday. You know what's coming. The What the F Happened podcast. The Treasure Hunters will be on it. Uh, definitely got some things I want to check out on film. Hope everybody enjoyed the holidays. Hope everybody enjoys this last day off. I guess it's still official holiday. Thanks yeah. for listening to Chris Sims on Button. Ahmed, you the man as always. Thanks for dealing with me. Merry Christmas. Sorry about your Lions. Hopefully you can be like the Giants and find a way in the playoffs at some point. We're going to get in. I know it. I know it. Peace out, homies. Ahmed, you the man. Clap it up. Clap it up. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.